Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis. And in the movie business, there's an expression, very straightforward. People say they're doing a project that's one for them, that maybe not the most highbrow or most critically acclaimed or even most lucrative, the one that can make the most money. It's something they care about, they want to do for whatever personal reasons. Today's episode of the show is one for me. If I could do, be as so bold to say what this episode is for me, one of the great spectacles in American sports is the Daytona 500. I do enjoy me some NASCAR. The pandemic changed me as a person. There was not a whole lot going on in 2020 from late spring until midsummer. There was NASCAR. There was golf. I made do, and I very much enjoyed NASCAR, and I'm very, very excited for this upcoming season, which starts on Sunday. I am lucky enough that I'm going to be going to the race, which, bucket list type thing to go to the Daytona 500. Even if you're not a huge race fan, just the spectacle, the experience, the lack thereof of ambiance, the culture, it's a cultural event. It's a significant part on the sports calendar. NASCAR is unique in that their season starts with the biggest event of the year. Most other leagues build up to their biggest event of the year. NASCAR kicks things off with their marquee event the week after the Super Bowl when there's a vacuum in the television audience. They get a good number every single year. And today's show will be about the the Daytona 500. Going forward... We are going to be on hiatus next week. There will not be any episodes Monday to Friday of next week. We will come back the following Monday. The content will resume. I'll be taking some much-needed R&R, getting my content brain together, trying to organize some stuff for the following week when we come back, get some good guests, continue our series on NHL teams, check in and try to hit all 32 by the NHL trade deadline. That's the goal. Please. If you haven't gotten a chance yet, go back, check out some of the shows we've done during the week. Yesterday, we had Liz from the Real Good Pros podcast to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Wednesday, we had... Wednesday, we had Josie from Couch Guy Sports to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. Tuesday, we had Caps Boy Bebop to talk about the Washington Capitals. Monday, Gabriella Carroll to talk about the Super Bowl. There are so many interesting and intelligent people out there on the internet that all I got to do is find them and we can have a really good conversation. It's been really good content the last couple of weeks. I've really kind of found a sweet spot on the types of guests I need. It's very good and it makes the show better. It makes me better when I have people to bounce ideas off of. So we will definitely be trying to maintain that standard of quality guests going forward. We get some more get some more interesting guests for you guys to enjoy because that's really what this is about i I do enjoy doing the solo episodes but i know it's better when i have guests before i get to today's one for me gotta remind everyone to help support the show please 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 subscribe unsubscribe resubscribe unsubscribe unsubscribe resubscribe unsubscribe resubscribe do it a bunch of times just make sure you're subscribed at the end of doing your unsubscribing sequence If you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify to listen to the show, please leave the show a review. Apple Podcasts, you just scroll down to the bottom past our recent episodes. They're going to be five stars. You tap the one furthest to the right, five-star review. 
Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. Please leave a few words. That kind of feedback really helps the show out, helps other people be more likely to find the show. Do that for any show you enjoy, not just this one. Please leave reviews, leave engagement on content. That is how content creators make a living or advance their careers. You got to help us out, man. We produce a lot of stuff. Take a second, leave your reviews. Okay, I'll see you guys in one sec. We'll talk about the cars going Zoom, and I promise it will be 30 minutes or less. And with that, we will get on into today's show. So naturally, the first reaction I get usually when I tell people I've been in, I've gotten into NASCAR and I actually enjoy watching it is why it don't they just go in circles a couple hundred times and yes in a nutshell it, it is repetitive it can be boring if you don't know what you're watching it's similar in that regard to the way people who don't watch baseball feel about baseball that it's very slow paced that there's not a lot going on that there's a lot of downtime but what appeals to me about nascar and i've had deandre graves who used to work at nascar for their social media team on and the way deandre described it is very straightforward it is a chess match at 200 miles an hour because your car you're accounting for how your car is performing around the other cars around you so that's your level one is your car fast enough to keep up stay competitive in the race that's just your baseline then you have to account for, well, how are the other people around me doing? Are we going to be able to link up and make something happen? Are we going to be able to form a temporary alliance where I'm going to be able to work with the people near me to make up some ground on the cars ahead of us? Anyone who's ever played a racing game, a simulation racing game understands this dilemma. You got to be able to advance even if your car isn't as fast, and that's where strategy starts to come in. Then you start getting a little bit deeper than that. You start talking about tires and fuel, where you have to account for the wear on your tires as the laps go. How many laps do I have left in these tires before I run the risk of them flat spotting or just outright blowing? And as your tires get worn out, they have less grip. You have less grip, less fast your car goes. Then you're talking about fuel, very straightforward. Anyone who's ever driven a car knows you run out of fuel, it stops going pretty quickly. And that happens up from time to time in NASCAR, where a car will be trying to make it to the end of the race. They don't know exactly how much fuel they have. They'll tap their reserve, and they'll run out of fuel before the race is over. And that's part of the strategy. And that that is the core of what I find interesting and the stuff I'm paying attention to when I'm watching a race, how the teams are competing with each other what they're doing to try and make up ground. How are they going to tweak the car during the course of the race? And that's another level of this. The adjustments you can make. You can raise the track bar, get the car a little bit higher off the ground. You can tight. You can do a wedge adjustment where you can make the tires a little bit tighter. You can make the wheel handling. When you make the tires tighter, when you do a wedge adjustment, it changes the handling of the vehicle. So a little bit looser, the tires have a little bit more give in them. You tighten the wedges, you make your tires a little bit more stiff, a little less give in your steering wheel, that kind of thing. So all of those intermediary, all of those gradual incremental changes you can make in your strategy, that's where your race is won and lost. And then, of course, when to make a pit stop if you are in a race that does not have a lot of cautions. Of course, a caution is when there is an accident, something on the track that has to stop the race from going at full speed. You reduce your speed. Typically, that's when you'll see teams make their pit stops, but certain races, 
not as chaotic, not as many accidents or on-track incidents, fewer cautions, you're going to have to pit under green. And then you have even more where you have to consider, if I pit now, who are the people around me? What are they going to do? If they're going to pit when I pit, that's okay. But if they're going to stay out and they're going to gain positions on the track because some of the field is going to come in when I come in, this is all the stuff I'm talking about. These incremental, these little micro decisions. And it's one of the things I find really interesting about the sport is just how many decisions go into the course of a three, four hour race. So in a nutshell, that's why I find the strategy very interesting in the same way I find the strategy interesting in baseball, because there are so many layers within the strategy of baseball where, okay, first pitch, we come up and in fastball. Then what do we do? Do we go low and away slider? Do we come up and in again? Do we go change up because we just threw a fastball? What do we do? That kind of, if we do this, then what do we do stuff is really just for somebody who enjoys strategy and really thinking about things and having discussion it's really not a surprise I've gotten really into motorsports over the last couple of years. I'm very excited for the spectacle of it all on Sunday. This is the marquee event in the sport. Like if the season started with, if the NFL season started with the Super Bowl, that's basically what the Daytona 500 is. That is NASCAR Super Bowl. That's why I've been calling it the Redneck Super Bowl during the course of the week. This is the biggest event on the NASCAR calendar. And it's got a little bit of added juice this year because they changed the cars. So, in a nutshell, NASCAR has always been the teams manufacture their cars, they manufacture the parts, the chassis, the chassis, the parts of the car you see externally, the frame of the car, if you will, that kind of, that part of the car, the stuff that all the ads are on. Now, NASCAR, in an attempt to make the sport more competitive, has unified part manufacturing, where everybody is going to have the same car except for the manufacturer specific things because Ford, Chevy, Toyota still pay rights fees to be the exclusive car part manufacturer for the respective teams and the drivers. And it's a lot to keep track of, but this is supposed to be a new era of racing that every team is going to have the exact same car. So that should make the field more competitive and enable smaller teams with less resources to be more competitive, which is a noble goal. And that should be the goal of all of these sports is to actually make the competition closer, not just cause an environment where the situations are closer. And that's the problem that baseball's having right now, where they've tried to make the situations closer by instituting a luxury tax and revenue sharing to make sure the smaller teams still make some money. You're trying the right way, but if the actors involved aren't doing the right thing, you're not going to be able to make any progress. NASCAR is taking tangible steps to make the sport more competitive. They've changed the playoff format. They've changed the race format. Now there are stages. Used to be you would just run the three, 400 laps and that would be it. Now you're broken up into thirds. There are three breaks. The race is broken up into thirds and those breaks are yellow flags and you reset the field based on where they are when that flag is thrown. And there are opportunities for other drivers to make up ground in the different stages. NASCAR has really embraced trying to make the sport as competitive as possible because it has, it's got a smaller footprint. NASCAR is not as big as it used to be. And they are taking interest, they are taking bold steps to try and grow the sport and help new people interact with it. And being extremely competitive and making all of the races as close as possible is one way to do that. Yes, it is taking away from the sport, the competition nature of it by turning it more into a contest where you can arbitrarily change the rules. 
But this is entertainment, and NASCAR is leaning into that entertainment. So by changing the car into a unified, almost a spec series, I would dare say. It's not a spec series because the individual manufacturers still make the parts and everything. But this is this is a bold step for NASCAR to be... I don't want to say cracking down, but that's the goal here. To make sure that Hendrick, to make sure that Penske, that Gibbs, the big, the three big teams, to make sure those three teams don't just win every single race and hog up the top fives and top tens. They want the smaller teams to be able to hang with those big dogs. And that's a noble and important goal for the sport going forward. It is genuinely important to make sure that everybody has a reasonable opportunity of being competitive because not every team has a ton of resources. There are teams that only run certain races during the year because they can't afford to run all 40-ish races every single year. There are teams that have one car versus teams that have four. There are teams that have a garage and technical staff and wind tunnels and all the bells and whistles of an elite operation. And there are guys that basically are one car, one garage, 10, 12 guys, and that's it. And that's where you get into the problems of having a top-heavy sport. And that's what happened last year. Hendrick, Chevrolet, which makes Hendrick's car, they found, they tapped into the sweet spot. Kyle Larson won eight, nine races last year. Chase Elliott won a handful of races. Alex Bowman did. William Byron won races. And they were clearly the best team last year. And, yes, to some degree, there was conjecture amongst the NASCAR community and media that, the other teams realized Hendrick was just so far ahead of them, there was no real way to make any adjustments to catch up to them. And we'll see. In theory, if you put everybody in the same car, same equipment, the best driver should win more often than not. Yes, you're going to have to qualify. Qualifying back, being back is good for the sport. Qualifying is important. Makes it a little bit more driver skill versus just the luck of the draw that they've had over the last two years during the pandemic where they didn't want to have people at the track if they could help it. So yeah, they're trying. They are taking bold steps to help grow the smaller teams, and that's important. Next. Obviously, starting the season with your biggest event is interesting for a variety of reasons. Usually, you want to build up to a crescendo when your excitement's at an all-time high. NASCAR likes to start out with a bang. And now, with that, you got to deal with the ramifications of what if the new car fucks up? What if... The racing isn't very exciting. What if everybody just globs together and it's a single file race? And that's not what anybody wants. And these are the competition problems and the quality of sport problems NASCAR has been trying to fine tune for the better part of the last few years because they realized they were having a viewership and a fan problem. So they're trying things. They're being adventurous. They're being bold. The clash at the LA Coliseum as a appetizer to start the season was very exciting. That was fun banging racing the spectacle was cool it was interesting that it was in la the week before the super bowl there was a lot going on they had the halftime show with ice cube there was a big i think 50 60 000 seat crowd at the la coliseum which is exciting and it's a really good way the sport is trying they added more road courses they added a dirt race to the cup series which hadn't been done in something like 50 or 60 years they are trying to grow the sport by any means possible. And that is a sign of a sport that understands the position it's in. Unlike the NHL, unlike Major League Baseball, where those sports are desperately clinging on to the past, NASCAR has really tried to make the sport more inclusive. It's taken steps to improve 
include diversity initiatives where hiring minority staff to work on teams, hiring minority drivers. There's a minority driver program to develop drivers because there's a feeder system in motor racing where you get signed by a team when you're a younger person, you work your way up the ladder under the under circuits, and then you get to ARCA, you get to the trucks, you get to the Xfinity series, and then you get to the Cup series, which is the main series. That's what I'm talking about here, the Cup series race. There's a feeder system, and a lot of kids never got an opportunity to drive a car competitively. So NASCAR funding initiatives to get people who wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to drive is a good thing for the sport. The more representation there is, the better. The visual representation stuff is an empowering feeling, and NASCAR has had its lumps. I mean, there is a very, very vocal minority of its fan base that very much is that southern redneck trope. They are not the majority. They're a loud minority, which seems to be the case in a lot of the world right now, the loud minority causing a problem for everybody else. But they were very upset when NASCAR said you can't bring the Confederate flag to the track anymore. And that was a big deal. That was a very big deal in NASCAR culture because this is a southern sport. This is a sport that was largely built up in areas during segregation when George Wallace had them let them build Talladega where they did. That was a segregated facility. That was a whites only event. That's the kind of history NASCAR is trying to grow from and improve on. And it's important that the sport recognizes there's a problem. And NASCAR does that. That is good for the game. I only should wish the NHL would have the brain cells to lean into the changing times empower younger people a more diverse group of people have more than just people who used to play the game or are married to people then that played the game making these decisions so part of what makes the daytona 500 so interesting is the style of racing so there are two tracks which are classified as super speedways they're not really super speedways anymore because they've changed the car but when i was a kid and i played the nascar video games the two tracks you always wanted to play in the video game were talladega and daytona those were the tracks with the massive wrecks because the cars had to go super fast because that's the style the track forces you to race they're two and a half two and three quarter mile tracks high embankments 45 50 degree angle embankments where you have to be accelerating really fast to be able to not slide on the embankment and then the other problem is it's pack racing where you have to use the cars around you to maintain speed if you were are one car driving by yourself you will not catch up to the pack at daytona or talladega it's just the physics do not work and my physics, my understanding of physics is not very good. Let me tell you, I did not do well in physics when I took it as a senior in high school. But you, the basics of understanding drafting and pack racing are very straightforward. So when you have a car in front of you in NASCAR and they are driving at whatever speed it is, they are blocking the air in front of you. That's your enemy when you're driving a car competitively is drag, resistance. You want to be able to cut through that air as clean as possible to go as fast as possible. So in NASCAR, the solution to that is drafting, where you have the car in front of you cutting through the air. And when that car in front of you is cutting through the air, there's a vacuum effect where the car in front of you is pulling you up into them and you'll have your bumpers touch. That is where 
some of the mess of Talladega and Daytona comes in is that you can't really control how two cars impact each other at 195 miles an hour down a straightaway or a back straightaway. When those cars ding, you can very easily knock the car in front of you out of shape, spin them, and cause a massive accident, which happens from time to time because of the nature of these tracks. You have to be in a pack. You have to have other cars around you, and you have to link up. You need the the kinetic energy of the bump behind you to slingshot your car, to go faster. And you cannot win the Daytona 500 without that kind of racing. That is simply the style, and it's what leads to the scary wrecks. And Daytona Talladega have had a fair share of them. NASCAR leans into this. They say, oh, in the marketing for Daytona 500 Talladega, it's always who's going to avoid the big one. And the big one is the massive wreck that takes out 10-ish cars from the field. So you only finish with 30, 25 cars on the lead lap. And Daytona last year in both the spring, the race that ended at like midnight when Michael McDowell won, and then the summer one, they largely avoided the massive wrecks until it got to winning time. You get to that last 10 laps, you got... Usually the field is relatively strung out at that point where you've got a group of 10 cars that are pretty close and then a pretty big gap in time, usually 7 to 12 seconds to another pack. And that group, the 7 to 12 seconds behind group, is never going to make up the time on that first 10 cars. So you realize, okay, these are the guys I'm in competition with to go for this now. If you're in the top 10 with 10 laps to go, you have a shot because it it turns into pandemonium because everybody's bumping and banging, trying to get that slingshot effect to get that draft to be able to pass who's next to them. And you see it where guys will get out in front a little bit too early, seven or eight laps to go. It's really hard to defend the lead when everybody behind you in the other lane is getting that bump draft from another car behind them. You need to have allies. I'm not going to say friends. You need to have allies in this. And Daytona opens up the opportunity for really good pack driving. And the Daytona summer race two years ago is a perfect example. So in this event, you need to have your manufacturer's alliances, your Chevys, your Fords, your Toyotas. They will come to pit at the same time, even if they're not on the same individual team like Hendrick, Penske, Gibbs, Gibbs, uh, Front Row, Wood Brothers. There's a bunch of, there's a lot of NASCAR teams, put, put it like that, within the manufacturers. So the manufacturers have to pit together because you need to have a grouping of at least eight or ten cars if that group is going to be able to make up ground on the other ones. And that's where the, the strategy really comes in, and it's what makes this so exciting. At that summer race two years ago, the last race of the regular season is also at the Daytona International Speedway, and a group of Chevys pits together under green. So the race is still going at full speed. There's no caution. There's no anything. They pit at full speed. They come out. They are 27 seconds off of the pack. Off of the lead, I should say. Excuse me. They made up that 27 seconds by, I think, the time there was about 20 laps to go. That kind of pack racing where you get to stay, where it stays green, especially. If there's a lot of wrecks, the excitement and the strategy kind of fades away. But in a race that stays green for the most part, and you have legitimate pack racing where one group has to catch up to the other group by the end of the stage or the end of the race, 
you really get something exciting because watching the pack work together to build up and build up that kinetic energy to make up ground is really exciting and really just fun to watch flat out that's all i'll say it's very exciting and it's easier to watch than some of the other mile mile and a half ovals that can be a little bit more of the yeah just going in circles 300 times until someone bangs into someone or one of the drivers that's in a car a little bit too good for them spins out and then you got to deal with that but for the most part, there's a reason Daytona gets all the billing it does, because this is the most exciting race on the regular season calendar. So, in terms of the actual racing itself, you you probably don't know a lot of the NASCAR drivers out there. They're trying. Denny Hamlin had the Domino's commercials last year's and the FedEx commercials. You might know Bubba Wallace, who drives for Michael Jordan's team, 2311. Kyle Larson was in the news two years ago because he used a racial slur while he was uh, Twitch streaming some uh, a car racing video game. He was in the news for that. You might know that name. Chase Elliott has won uh, Fan Driver of the Year, the most popular driver voting poll. Basically, every single year since he's been a full-time driver at the Cup Series level, he's a really good road racer. Kyle Busch, who's been around forever, drives the M&M's car. You probably know a lot of these guys by the sponsors of the cars they drive as opposed to their names themselves. There's Kyle Busch, who is a legitimately good heel at this point in his life. He understands that he's the villain for a lot of people, and he leans into it, and it makes the sport more entertaining. He's got a brother, Kurt Busch, who won the Cup Series championship back in 2004, which seems like a lifetime ago. There's Kevin Harvick, who drives the Bush Light car, who you've probably seen in the Bush Light commercials at one point or another. I'm trying to think. Who else is very, very mainstream? There's Ryan Blaney, who drives an AutoZone car, you might have seen him because he kind of looks like a, he kind of has the energy of like a country singer. And for some reason that resonates with certain people. And he, th- th- I can't even say some people because I enjoy watching Ryan Blaney race. He's somebody I could look at and see winning this race. He's really good at this pack racing that you have to be good at to win at Daytona. He's had a couple of top five, top tens at these tracks. He won Talladega a couple of years ago. Definitely somebody in the mix. There's a lot of really exciting young drivers in the sport, and the field is getting younger, which is good for the sport. It is slowly but surely getting in the right direction. There's Daniel Suarez, who drives for Pitbull's team. Yes, you heard me right. Mr. Worldwide himself has a NASCAR team, and he's got a driver, Daniel Suarez, who's been in pretty mediocre equipment over the course of his career, but has had flashes of being a pretty good driver. I'm not going to go through the entire field because that would take quite a while because there are a whole lot of cars. But in terms of the quality of driver, it is very good. And because NASCAR has diversified the schedule into a bunch of different types of races, you have specialists. You have drivers who are really good at the super speedways, like last year's winner, Michael McDowell. McDowell's first career win. He's been in NASCAR a long time, and it took him a while, but... Super Speedway Racing creates a chaotic energy. Road Racing, Martin Truex Jr., who drives the Bass Pro Shops car, is really good at road track road track racing. There's Chase Elliott, same thing, really good at road course racing. Son of Bill Elliott, who used to be in NASCAR. That's another thing. There's a lot of legacies in NASCAR because the only people who spend that much time around cars are the people who spend that much time around cars and their kids, so it kind of gets passed on generation to generation. So... I don't want to go on for 
hours and hours here. I know NASCAR is not everyone's cup of tea. The the key to understanding the one for me is that it can't be too long, and it's got to have some entertainment or informative value. And I hope I've explained some of the nuts and bolts. The last thing I want to touch on is really straightforward. I am so fucking excited to be going to this race. I've never been to a NASCAR event before. This is the marquee event. It is a frantic, chaotic ode to stock car racing. I hope I don't see anything too crazy, man. I I was in Florida in 2019 when Ryan Newman... I thought Ryan Newman died. I'll be honest with you. I was on family vacation. My dad was at the race with one of his friends. I really thought Ryan... I usually... I was still at that point where I'd keep an eye on the Daytona 500, but I wasn't really a NASCAR fan the way I am now. Just gradually, I popped in last 10, 15 laps just to watch, streaming on my phone. I saw the Ryan Newman wreck, and I thought, wow, that guy really might have just died. And I just had to see that on TV, similar to what happened to Roman Grosjean in Formula One last year. That That's the thing with motorsports, man. You got to have a respect for the craft, because that is a dangerous machine to be operating. Okay, that's kind of a somber, depressing note to end today's show on, but it's really what I think about and what I worry about at Daytona, at Talladega. Oh, and every single time I watch Formula One. And Formula One, there's an episode coming in the pipeline. Probably Mallory will come back to... Mallory from the broadcast will come back to talk about that. She's got a lot of F1 thoughts she likes to get off her head. She came on last year, correctly predicted the driver champion, the constructors champion, what would happen with McLaren. So Mal knows her stuff. It makes for a good show. I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. I hope you do check out the Daytona 500 for a stretch of Sunday. Starts at 3. I would check in sometime after 5 to get a glimpse. The weather looks like it's going to be in our favor. Knock on wood because that's been a problem in years past. So if they can get this race done by 6.30, 7 o'clock in the, the heart of prime time on a Sunday night without the NFL, that would be good for the sport. Enjoy the weekend. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. And remember... No new episodes for next week. We will be back the following Monday. A lot will happen between now and then. I'm sure the Rangers will probably have made their first dumb roster move at some point. That I'll have to talk about. I'll come back. I'll talk about the race itself. We'll get some guests in the mix. Having a lot of fun doing the show lately. It's definitely a good energy I'm feeling. I'm I'm feeling better, making better stuff, getting good guests. I'll see you guys in a week.